This morning we're going to read from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 39 through 45. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. This is the word of the Lord. I invite Jenna to come up. My honor to pray for Jenna. Thank you so much for taking some time out of your mat leaf to come and prepare a sermon and to preach to us. We are delighted that you're here with us. Let's pray. Father, your word is true. Your word is timeless. Your word speaks to our heart, transform minds. And so this morning as we listen to the word open to us, We pray that you'll speak through your servant, Jenna, through her preparation, through the things that you have shaped her in her life and from her heart. And may this message land on receptive soil so that we might be encouraged, comforted, challenged, corrected. We support her in her time of rest and her ministry at Willoughby. We thank you for this opportunity. Be with us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thanks, John, for that prayer. Uh, Thank you, Susanna, for the beautiful dedication. We have discovered this morning that our child does not like to be in front of people as much as as his dad and I do, but that's okay. (laughs) It's really good to be with you here this morning. Thank you for inviting me to be here. This morning, we're continuing in the series called To Be looking specifically at the character of Mary in Scripture and seeing how she models for us how to faithfully accept God's invitation to enter into his redemptive work. So essentially, we're seeking to ask ourselves, how can Mary's example incite or motivate me to see how God might be calling me in my context, not only to see him at work, but then to also participate in that work, to see how I might be enabled and empowered and gifted by the Spirit to join him in what he's doing. So the picture we're we're kind of painting here, or the posture that we're, we're hoping for, is kind of like one of a child approaching their parent, seeing their parent at work, you know, baking a cake. Some of you mothers have experienced this, you know, fixing the car, sitting at the workbench, you know, carving something. And a child coming up, observing their parent at work and wanting to help, being available, being open, being willing to help them. I see what you're doing and I, I want to help you. We're, we're looking to see our father at work and to have an openness and a willingness to join him in that work. When Mary, just prior to the passage that was read for us this morning, when Mary responded to the angel Gabriel after he had told her that something unbelievable was going to happen to her, that she was going to bear a child without any help from Joseph, 
that the Holy Spirit would overwhelm her and, and, and overcome her and completely fill her, that something incredible was going to happen to her, she could not have responded to this news with any more humility and openness. I am the Lord's servant, she said. May your word to me be fulfilled. It's beautiful. It's one of the most quoted texts in all of Scripture. She saw that God was at work. And what she says there is wonderful. But what Mary does, how she then joins in with what God is doing, is what we want to focus on this morning. Yes, she had observed God's hand at work around and within her, but Mary also recognized that God wasn't expecting her to walk this calling out on her own that he had also opened up a door for her to journey in this in community. See, because when, when God is at his work table and he pulls a stool up next to him so that we can have a seat and join him in what he's doing, what we discover when we get to that table is that somebody else or some ones are also already sitting there, that we're not coming to that table alone. Mary discovered this because what's the first thing that she does? after the angel leaves her. What's the first thing that we find out in the text for this morning? She doesn't run to her parents or to Joseph. She doesn't go and hide in a corner and worry about what's going to happen to her. She doesn't run to Carter's to go and buy all the baby clothes on sale and start looking on Pinterest for, you know, furniture for the nursery. What does she do? Verse 39, at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. Why does she hurry to Elizabeth? Why is that the first thing that she does? Well, look back earlier in, in chapter Luke, or in Luke chapter 1, at verse 36. Look at what the angel says to her. Even Elizabeth, says the angel, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. The angel told her that. Why would the angel tell her that? If not to, yes, give her a reason to see herself as a part of a greater narrative, but also to give her a safe place where she could run to and be comforted by someone who's going through the exact same thing that she is. We all know what it's like to be going through something hard or difficult and to come across somebody who's gone through the exact same thing who knows what it's like, who can kind of walk us through it and teach us how, how they experienced it. Here, we're talking about two women that were given the gift of conception, one way later in life than she expected, one way earlier, which perhaps under normal circumstance would have been fine, but there were all sorts of reasons why these women would have struggled with this news. Earlier in chapter 1, this is all happening in Luke chapter 1, earlier in chapter 1, Luke writes that Elizabeth was, and I quote, very old, okay, which means that her body wasn't exactly very fit or strong to carry a child. I mean, I delivered Malachi when I was 34. I was one year away from being called a geriatric pregnancy. <laughs> and there's reasons for that, but look, this is, this, is, this is Luke's way of saying Elizabeth was way beyond that. <laughs> Elizabeth was very old. Imagine what we would have labeled her today. <laughs> and then think about Mary and the societal pressures that she would have been under, right? Conceiving a child without Joseph before she's married, being under a law that said that adultery deserved death, being 14 or 15 years old and having to watch your body go through all these crazy changes. God knew 
that these women would need each other to sustain, to be sustained through this season. He knew that they would need each other to walk through it. So Mary hurries to Elizabeth. <laughs> she trusts what the angel says and reaches out to the only other person who might understand, who might actually believe her. She runs into Elizabeth's home. She hurries and she, she bursts through the doors, mascara running, you know, tear-stained dress, snotty-nosed, hoping, hoping that someone in this house might actually believe the absurdity of her story. And she doesn't have to say anything before she's assured that Elizabeth will be a God-given comfort to her. Verse 41, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I, we need to just pause there for a quick second, because this is now the third time in chapter 1 that the Holy Spirit is mentioned. The first time is mentioned back in, in verse 15 with Zechariah. The angel says to Zechariah that his son John is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit before he is even born. Okay, that's back in verse 15. And then in verse 35, the angel says to Mary now, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Now, in verse 41, Elizabeth too is filled with the Holy Spirit. She receives a kick, an internal kick from her unborn prophetic son who, inspired by the Spirit, right, because he's got the Spirit already, inspired by the Spirit, is propelled to tell the whole room about the king who's just been ushered in. It's, it's honestly, it's, for me at least, it's one of the most beautiful pictures in all of Scripture. It's this baby within Elizabeth just bursting with joy and telling the whole room about the king who's just come in. It's one of the most beautiful moments because all over this story, we see the work of the Holy Spirit. We see God at his workbench, crafting, carving, pulling pieces together and creating circumstances that show he's doing something. He's doing something. Who would have ever expected him to be at work in this way? Would we still expect God to work in this way? Or has he become so small in our minds that we don't even notice him anymore? that we don't even look for him at work. This passage encourages us, even demands of us, that we see God at work, that we look for him, that we observe his work, his activity, his spirit, actively orchestrating events and drawing people together so that his plans can come to fruition. All Mary did was receive and observe she saw that he was doing something. She believed that he was doing something, and she joined in it. She willingly participated in what God was doing. She didn't put on a false confidence. She didn't think to herself that she could do it all on her own. She ran to the one person who God had specifically put on her mind and ended up finding a home that was filled with spirit joy. Look at what Elizabeth says to her. This is how she affirms her. Blessed are you among women. Wouldn't every expectant mother love to hear these words? Blessed are you <laughs> in all your morning sickness and nausea. Blessed are you among women. And blessed is the child you will bear. 
But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears? The baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Blessed is she who has believed. Believed that God was doing something. Believed that he had given her a spot at his table, at his workbench, that he was opening up the door for her to participate in something incredible. And, and, that he had given her a buddy for the ride. Because Mary's visit to Elizabeth wasn't just a day or two or even a week. It was three months, as we find out later in the chapter. Based on verse 56, she stayed there for three months. Three months in a place of safety and assurance during some of the hardest months of her pregnancy, when she would have to be grappling with all the implications of what was going to happen to her and the road that lay ahead, not to mention, again, morning sickness and headaches and all that beautifulness. Again, God knows what we need. He knows what we need. He knows that we need others to walk out these hard roads with us. And if we're going to join him in his work, which can be quite difficult and demanding at times, we need to work that out with others because it's in the community. It's the community that will affirm us of our calling. It's the community that will affirm us of our place at the table and provide the joy in order to sustain us through it. See, we can, we can easily you know, receive God's invitation to his table and come to that table thinking that we know what we're doing, right? Oh, God, you know, no, no, this piece needs to move over here, and then, no, you're doing that wrong, <laughs> right? No, this, and then we end up in our own little corner orchestrating events because this is what we think God's at work doing. No, we need other people around the table saying that we're not the ones in control, that's not our table. And it's the others around the, around the table that remind us, you are welcome here, but you're not the one who's in charge. There's um, a children's book by Max Lucado. Perhaps some of you have heard of it. It's, it tells the story of a little town full of uh, Wemmicks. They're called Wemmicks, little wooden people that have been carved by the master, the master craftsman, woodmaker, who lives up on the hill. And every day, these Wemmicks do the exact same thing. They go around sticking gold stars onto each other based on how nice they look, how well they speak, how talented they are, how many tumbles they can do on the ground without falling. Everybody's walking around with these gold stars. But they also give out gray dots. Gray dots for every time a Wemmick makes a mistake or says something dumb or doesn't look very good or hasn't taken care of their wood very well. And Punchinello, the character Punchinello, is one of these figures that is covered in gray dots. He has no gold stars. He's covered in gray dots. Day after day, the same thing happens to him. He makes mistakes. He falls over. People attach gray dots onto him. And eventually he starts, he's living in this world that makes him too afraid to even go outside. And eventually he starts believing that he's just not a very good Wemmick at all. But then one day, he meets a girl named Lucia. And Lucia doesn't have any stars or dots. Nothing. In fact, 
the stars and the dots don't even stick to her. They just fall right off. And Punchinella just can't believe how this could be possible. But as he talks to her, he finds out that the reason the stars and the dots don't stick to her is because every day she goes to see Eli, the master woodworker up on the hill. And here's the turning point. She encourages Punchinello to do the same, to go and to see Eli and to find out for himself how this is possible. So he goes. After thinking about it for some time, he goes. And he enters into Eli's home. He goes through this big door and he hears his name spoken. And there's this massive table at which Eli is sitting, the master craftsman, working, carving, sitting at his workbench. And he, he picks up Punchinello, because Punchinello is, you know, just tiny. So he picks him up, and he puts him beside him at the table, and they share a brief conversation. And Eli says to him, I was hoping you would come. And Punchinello, all bashful, says, well, you know, the, the reason I came is because this girl told me to come. This girl with no marks told me that I should. And Eli then replies, I know. She told me about you. I know. She told me about you. Sometimes all we need is someone special, someone chosen perhaps, to speak to the master on our behalf and encourage us in the right direction. When Mary came rushing into Elizabeth's home, looking for affirmation and assurance, Elizabeth was able to say to her, it's okay. I've seen the master. I've been at his table. I've seen what he's doing. And it's really good. It's really good. You're going to be okay because you're now a part of it. And you're not going to be alone because we can sit there together. It's that kind of affirmation that Mary needed to hear. Because when God calls us to work with him at his work table, at his workbench. He invites us at the same time to be in fellowship with others. Those two actually cannot exist apart from one another. God's table is far too big for us to sit there by ourselves. As Brazilian theologian Valdir Stervenakel has put it, for Mary to carry alone the weight of her calling simply would not work. It wouldn't work. Only one person it could be argued, was tasked with carrying a calling all by himself. And that's only because the weight of his calling could only be carried by him. Christ carried his cross alone because he was the only person who could. And because he did that, only because he did that, we are welcome at his table. We are welcomed into participating in the work that he's still doing, gray dots all over us and all, because he's clothed us now with his working attire. He's thrown safety goggles and some overalls and some safety gloves at us, and he's invited us to his table to join in what he's doing. There's um, an icon, an image that I've always loved. It's called Rublev's icon. I think we have a picture of it. 
Maybe some of you have seen it. Um, it's an image of the three persons of the Trinity sitting around a table. And the way that it was explained to me was that it's purposefully situated so that the three persons are sitting like this, and the table is open in front to invite the viewer into the picture, as if it's an invitation to come and sit at the table with the Trinity. And this This model of communion with God, this model of being invited into fellowship with God is the model that we are meant to carry into fellowship with one another. This openness, this communion with one another, calling one another into that same work that is already going on. It's a conversation that's already happening. Because again, it's it's this kind of fellowship that Mary and Elizabeth shared. It's this kind of fellowship that we're invited into which sustains us for the road. If Mary hadn't listened to the angel and didn't find community with Elizabeth, how would she have been affirmed in her calling? If we aren't able to encourage and affirm one another on our journeys of faith, how can we foster that kind of joy? And how will we be able to model it for the little ones in our community. If my son doesn't see Danny and I working out God's invitation in community with others, being deepened and enriched by fellow believers who want to collaborate and create together to work for God's kingdom purposes, how will he know what it looks like if he doesn't see it modeled for him? I mean, Jesus himself modeled it for us. Yes, he spent some time away alone, which is important, He went to go visit the master on his own. But the vast majority of his time was spent in community. And he knows, Christ knows, that to join in this kingdom building work is demanding. It requires collaboration and creativity and communication. It demands our vulnerability, humility, willingness to sit with one another in our messiness. Others are going to see our bruises and our wounds, our gray dots. But we allow ourselves to be recreated and transformed in the sanctity of relationship. That's what we are called to. Because we know that it's this kind of radical, vulnerable, raw relationship that brings out joy. Kingdom-kicking joy. As Elizabeth, as Elizabeth experienced. This is what we're talking about when we talk about radical community. The type of community that you can't find anywhere else because it's spirit-inspired. Communities where this kind of joy happens, where these kinds of holy interactions are built, and that kind of intentionality just is habitual. It's normal. Radical community around God's workbench leads to radical joy. And we know this because the word that Luke uses here in this passage isn't the normal Greek word for joy, um, kara, but it's, it's agaliasis, which means exultant joy, worshipful joy, extreme joy. A joy that assures both of these women that God is at work, and that they are an important part of it. So with that, I just want to conclude this morning with one key takeaway. That's it. Super simple. 
one takeaway, and that's simply this. Don't minimize the role that you have in encouraging others about their role in God's kingdom. Don't minimize the role that you have in encouraging others about their role in God's kingdom. Don't minimize it. Recognize that this kingdom work involves being in a type of community that looks like what we see happening here with Mary and Elizabeth. He wants us, the Father wants us to have these kinds of interactions, these kinds of relationships with one another. And like he did with Mary, he he gives us little nudgings, you know, Holy Spirit nigglings of who we are called to be in fellowship with. So expect him to do things. Expect to see him at work. Expect him to speak to you. Words that you can share with others. Things that you can do with others. Places you can go with others. Expect him to do that because why would he not want to give us words of encouragement to give to one another? Why would he not want to do that? Why would he not want to build community between us and among us? Why would he not want us to experience this kind of joy? Isn't that what his spirit is all about? Isn't that what his spirit does? Isn't that what the spirit is for? To empower the church to be connected with one another as one in Christ? A community that is connected by his spirit, uttering spirit-inspired encouragement to one another and building one another up with spirit-filled joy, that is radical community. That's radical community. So ask yourself, in your current life situation, wherever you might be at, are you needing this kind of community? Is this what you need? Are you needing God to sit you next to someone who can help you to embrace his kingdom work in your life? Is that what you need? Bring that to him. Or are you perhaps sitting in a place where you can be that person? You can be an encouragement to someone else. Who might that person be? Ask the Lord to reveal them to you. This is one of the most ordinary things that we can do as followers of Christ. It's one of the most habitual things that we can do. But too often we miss these kinds of opportunities because we're too busy or preoccupied Something comes to mind and we think, it's probably not that important, or I'll just do it tomorrow, maybe. Or they won't really care, it's not that big of a deal. But no. Last summer, uh, Danny and I used to have neighbors right next door. We're in a kind of condo townhouse complex, and our neighbors right next door, an elderly couple, um, we'll call them Gary and Barbara. Last summer, Barbara got sick. And for a good month, I had a niggling that we should go see her. Just, we, we really need to go see Barbara. We had even bought her a card and a little plant. But then days go by, weeks pass, and you think, oh, maybe she's better. Oh, we really should still go see her. Anyway, um, one day her husband came to the door. Oh, gosh, it gets me every time. Not when I'm practicing, it's only in person. Um, her husband came to the door and told us uh, that Barbara had passed away. And we hugged and cried with him and prayed with him. But to this day, I still can't believe that we didn't go and visit her. 
for a whole month (laughs) that we didn't take that opportunity to be an encouragement to her. Don't think that little things in God's kingdom don't matter. Do small things with great love, as Mother Teresa once said. Let's not be a people who neglect the nigglings of the Spirit. Let's be a people who listen to the whispers of the Spirit. If the Spirit puts a niggling in in your heart to reach out to someone or to offer a prayer for someone or an encouragement, for God's sake, do it. Do it. Why not? (laughs) What's there to lose? (laughs) Imagine, imagine if every single one of us in this room prayed today for God to put someone on our hearts to either run to or to encourage. Imagine the joy that could erupt in a community where every single person is listening to the promptings of the Holy Spirit telling us about someone to connect with, someone to pray for, someone to reach out to, someone to comfort, someone to empower. Someone who might simply need an encouragement to go and visit with the master craftsman. That's all it takes sometimes. So it's my prayer this morning that when you get that kind of a niggling, when any of us gets that kind of a niggling or a nudge, that we'll pay attention to it that we won't miss an opportunity to be available, to set aside our own schedules and plans and agendas, down our phones, (laughs) to be courageous and obedient to those nudgings and whispers of the Spirit who's working within us. And then, maybe like Mary and Elizabeth, we too can experience that internal kick of kingdom joy. Would you pray with me? Living God, this morning, we desire to come and take a seat at your table. Lord, to recognize that you're at work. Lord, I pray this morning that whatever your word is for each one of us, Lord, that you would plant that deep in our hearts, that you would give us little tasks, little things, little prayers, little words of encouragement. Lord, that you would give us the courage to know that nothing is in vain when it comes to your kingdom. That something that might seem small to us may have massive implications. Living God, give us more of your spirit that we might be empowered and enabled to see you at work and to participate in that work. We ask this all in your son's name. Amen. You've been listening to the First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. For more sermons and information about our church's services and programs, please visit firstbc.org.